All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the White Tiger Podcast. I'm your co-host, Craig. You guys know that. And you know our other fantastic co-host, Asante. He's sitting here with us. What's up, Asante? This week, we bring you... What's up? We bring you another fantastic episode. <laughs> we're gonna br- we're bringing you Commander Jack Riggins. He's uh, U.S. He's retired U.S. former Navy SEAL. Spent 20 years leading special operations forces throughout the globe. He's a leadership and cultural dynamics expert, professional speaker, and consultant to high-performance business leaders, pro athletes, Olympians, and NCAA teams. He was actually assigned to SEAL Team 1 during the 9-11 attacks and was also a troop commander for SEAL 3. I'm sorry, SEAL Team 3. And he's also the co-founder of Performance Mountain, which is also and also the host of Dark Side of Elite podcast, which we talk about on this podcast, which is actually really great. Yeah, it was a great interview. We talked, the most important thing we talked about was importance of communication and then being almost not almost being over prepared so that when the time to perform comes you're ready for it and it's easy yeah absolutely just to hear his perspective and the best part about speaking with jack well one of the best parts about speaking with jack is just his transparency and authenticity whether it be in his professional role as a navy seal or just what he's doing now and his, his life's journey just it's just amazing and i and i think so many people are going to get a ton of value out of it uh i loved it and it's great and his podcast is great too yeah yeah it was, it was a great interview and he's just his leadership and his background um you could just tell how it permeates into what he does as a consultant and a coach uh, helping athletes and business owners. And he's just a powerful communicator and motivator. Yeah. So we want to introduce you to guys to uh, Commander Jack Reagans. Hopefully you enjoy the episode as much as we had sitting down with Jack and recorded. What you got to do? Are you guys both out in Cali? Yeah, surviving the craziness. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a guy just moved here. A friend of mine is. Uh, he's he is currently coaching the USA um, beach volleyball men's team, mm. um, but with the delay and everything, he's moved to Nebraska, where he's going to be our assistant women's coach. And he was here, and that's where we met. But anyway, he was back there, and he literally just moved here two days ago, and. I would say that we're pre- we're in a really good spot for this whole deal. It hasn't affected our lives too much. So he's just like, I can't believe it. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty normal here besides wear a mask. Oh, my God. just happened like a week ago. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, wow. you know, it, it, it hasn't been besides kids' schools and um, in sports, which some sports they brought back. Um yeah, I mean, we're just in a nice pocket, so it's kind of hard to relate to everybody in major in the major metropolitan areas and or you know where they've done lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, we're both blessed and cursed, right? I mean, we're blessed because it hasn't affected, but at the same time, when you're talking to your friends from all over the states, I mean, it's just random. Yeah, we we've been locked down for a minute. <laughs> Things were starting to open back up, like um, maybe less than a month ago, and now we're just back into like basically square one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we totally got teased. It was yeah. it was totally wrong. You know, it's finally like you get to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and then all of a sudden, someone just shuts the door in your face. <laughs> yeah, he was saying like, I mean, they all trained down on Hermosa Beach, and they were supposed to not even train, and then the cops were coming around, and then finally, all the professionals are just like, we're training, and you know, the cops would kind of look the other way and then, you know, people flooded back to the beach and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, they're gone again. And um, anyway, yeah, we all got to deal with whatever situation we're in. <laughs> yeah. Nebraska seems like a good spot to be in right now. <laughs> well, it's got its good things, but it's awful boring place to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, with that being said, uh, Jack, is, is Nebraska always been your home? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was raised here. So, um, town of 25,000 Fremont, um, which is big for Nebraska. I think it's like the fifth largest area. And then, uh, we were just right outside of Omaha. So, I mean, 
you know, I wouldn't experience big cities until I traveled to Chicago or eventually came out to Southern California. But yeah, Nebraska has always been my home. It's what I identify with. And I graduated from the university and that's where I met my wife and she's from Chicago. But yeah, we just figured after the Navy, we'd raise the kids here because it is pretty simple, you know, on the grand scale. Um, you don't have to drive very long to the normal things. And I, I like to say Nebraska has one of everything. Mm. Nice. You know, is that kind of like maybe post your Navy career, like simple was something you were looking for? Um, yes and no. I mean, there, there's a reality, which I think, you know, I'm very lucky in my mid forties to quote unquote, be retired from something and have a constant paycheck. But, um, I would say it was more, it was 50, 50 financial, you know, find a place that you don't have to necessarily go right out and start grinding again, working and also closer to family. And we knew the lifestyle. So we just felt we have four kids. We just felt it would be easier on us as a family. And I think we both, it's unspoken, but I think we both know that raising kids through that career at that time frame, the global war on terrorism, you know, was, was difficult mainly on my wife. I mean, she was more like a 10 year stay at home mother. And so I wanted to have a lifestyle that I could participate more um because let's be honest you you know your kids are only in your house so long and i essentially missed half of it um and i i just wanted that so you know you have to find somewhere that if those are your goals kind of lifestyle you know not being pressed like a lot of people are just to pay the bills um you've got to find a cheaper like you know a cost of living is lower and that's certainly nebraska and, uh, but, you know, I'd experienced, you know, in Southern California and other places, you know, driving for an hour to just, just get groceries or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and if I, if I still live there and I, I love San Diego, you know, I kind of consider it my second home, but, um, but man, I mean, I'd be working a full-time job if I just lived there just to pay the rent. Yeah. It's tough to live out here. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. I think that's sure. kind of, there's, there's so many perks, but you definitely have to work for those perks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, you know, we know the people, I mean, we're from here, so every region kind of has its own little dealios. And so, you know, you can find them in any city, any place, kind of your tribe, if you will. Um, But we just felt it was easier out here. And and we do have family in the Midwest. So again, you know, we'd missed a lot of that stuff. And so we just, I don't think we'll end up staying here forever. Um, The winners have already shown us like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, but I mean, we're already looking for, you know, maybe a condo or something, whether it be, you know, Arizona, Florida, maybe Southern California. I don't know, but, uh, we definitely, uh, we, we take trips during the winter. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. I'd I'd imagine. (laughs) What was your, what was your journey like post-college? Cause you went to the university of Nebraska, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started at a small NAI school. We have a lot of NAI schools around here, you know, kind of what most people consider division three, maybe division two, Mm -hmm. um, more than anywhere. It's kind of crazy. So you, you know, you can kind of go and play sports at a lot of those places if you're not a a big time sports guy. And, uh, and I did that. I enjoyed it. I knew I wanted to be in the Navy, but I couldn't turn down, you know, playing athletics. There's a timeline on that. Um, and certainly around here, you know, I grew up in Husker hysteria. So, you know, I think all young men around here, you know, want to be football players. Um, certainly now everybody wants to be a volleyball player because our volleyball team is very good nationally. Um, but yeah, and honestly, the university had Navy ROTC. So it was the only place, you know, within maybe 500 miles that had that. So I just simply kind of walked on down there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had gone to college, I knew that it was something that, you know, if I put my mind to it, I could do, I wasn't, I was there to play sports, just like I went to grade school to play sports. I went to high school to play sports. Um, but I figured out, Hey, you know, there's some advantages to doing it. And that was my pathway. And so, yeah, so I did the ROTC program for two and a half years. And then I was fortunate because I got picked up in my job selection uh, as the Naval officer right away for SEAL teams. So then you, you know, you go to Southern California, Coronado to basic underwater demolition steel. And I literally graduated college. And one month later I was starting that program. So for me, it was kind of a real, if you will, fast transition. I mean, ROTC is a great program, but it's not, you know, it's not the Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy. I mean, you are, you're barely a part-time, you know, military midshipman. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And I took full advantage of uh, the shenanigans of, you know, because I always say if I'd have went to the service academy, I'd have been out in the first week. Um, <laughs> here I am, you know, I had a 20-year career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, just kind of got there, got into my exercise phys degree because it interests me. Um, did the ROTC thing. I still have a hard time marching, but I, I, don't, uh, I don't have to do that anymore. And uh, I picked an unconventional unit that that wasn't a priority, and uh, off we went. So, yeah, right, right away, uh, boom, drove to Southern California, hadn't seen the Pacific Ocean, and got after it. <laughs> you San Diego's know, a great spot. <laughs> yeah, San Diego's a great spot. You know, you hear so many people wanting or having interest in Navy SEALs. Is, is that something that you've always wanted to do, or is it just like kind of like you found yourself doing it? No, I mean, obviously it's, it's been interesting. I think it's over the last 20 years, you know, in my time frame, if you will, my generation of SEALs, I mean, the landscape of the world has changed in general with social media and the internet. Um, and, and our unit in particular, you know, has just blown up. Um, and there's good to that and there's bad to that. I always say, you know, sure, we have a platform, but I mean, we're just veterans like everybody else. You know, when I talk to sports teams consulting, you know, what we are is in a football team, we're the kicker. I mean, that's mm. special ops is the kicker, you know, we're yet we it's flipped, right? Like, but we have this fanfare now that's interesting. So anyway, I mean, you have that platform now and it's, if guys are using it for good to, to help other people, we're all for it. I think, you know, we realize that. Um, you know, if there's selfish motives behind it, you know, that's kind of a all stop for those of us, but there's not much we can control. Having said that, no, back in the day, I mean, sports was what drove my life. And so, you know, I don't know if I was smart enough or dumb enough, but I just realized that, you know, probably 15, 16, that I wanted like the locker room dynamic and the process of going to practice with the boys and, and trying to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I love that. Um, and I felt very alone and lost if I didn't have that. Like, so when there would be downtimes where you didn't have that dynamic and in my early jobs, you know, I, I think as young people, we all have these early starter jobs, you know, I'd go there and you're just like, Oh my God. God. I mean, people are just hating life, you know, whether it was working on the golf course, doing maintenance, whether it was, you know, working for the city, painting street signs. And I'm like, I don't, no way I'm going the rest of my life like these guys I'm seeing hating every day, you know. And uh, so it was locker room. And I knew I had family in the military. You know, it was kind of in our lexicon every day, night, you know, grandparents in World War II stepfather in world war or uh, Korean Vietnam. So, you know, I just was looking and the truth is there are a lot, I knew I wanted to do something quote unquote special. I just didn't want to be a, you know, a normal military person and um, SEAL team just looked harder, cooler, better than anywhere else, but not in the sense of like, Oh, we're the best. Just that locker room dynamic really, existed. And at the time, I want to say, you know, I found a couple of Reader's Digest article, a couple of Newsweek articles from some invasions in the 80s, but it was difficult to find information. And so a little bit of it was a leap of faith um, that that unit would be good for me. Um, And it was, so it it delivered. I Mm -hmm. I hope I did a good job. But I, I know now, you know, 20 years after the fact, you know, serving with all, all the special operations in America and many from foreign nations and partners and allies that, you know, any of those units, I would have got that quote unquote fix that I was looking for. So I always say for me, it was an extension of sports and, uh, and it delivered and I, I loved it. I just, I feel bad. My goal was always like to beat Brett Favre in years. And then, then there was Tom Brady and I was like, are you, fucking kidding me. I'm going to play forever. Uh, But no, I got to 20 and I'm pretty satisfied with that. 20 is a hell of a career, especially on your body. So like, I love that you're talking about like the locker room environment because that camaraderie is what 
like for me playing football, that was everything. Like being kind of like in the bunker with the guys, just locked down, focused on like, all right, this week we have to focus on doing this, that, and the third. So that's extremely important. But how was Buds? I've I've always had so many questions about like, because college football, we did a lot of tough things that, like, challenged you. Camp is always a grind. But what was Bud's like? Yeah, no, great <laughs> question. I mean, I think it's funny because I do, you know, you're a former athlete at a high level. You know, a lot of people I hang out with, there's just a synergy if you've done that that I I tend to resonate with. And so we, we do a lot of, you know, sitting around the bar table talking about this, or if I'm consulting, you know, there's stories or maybe examples I can give to young people, you know, to help them through. But, you know, think of it this way, like buds is interesting. Sure. sure you got to be qualified. Sure. You've got to, you know, do your physical stuff and you've got to get in. Um, But where it differs from say sports, right. Is, you know, you know, take like division one. Okay. I've got to have some talent. I've got to have some size and somebody's got to like me and they've got to, you know, bring me into their house. And then you get there and, you know, there's a lot of people like you and, and now we start grinding again. Um, you know, buds, if you get there, however you get there, I mean, you're, you're more than halfway done. It's just hard to get a slot. Okay. Mm. So now once you're there, think about it this way the entire system is set up to help you succeed, right? All the instructors are SEALs. Everybody has done what you're about to do. And we want to replenish the force, meaning we know that people are going to leave, people are going to get injured. I mean, we need to have a healthy crop of young qualified SEALs always coming up. So we're not so much about, well, the system is built to do that sure, we're going to cut our losses and people that can't make it, of course, mm. right? That's the other part of it. But truly, once you, the individual, are there, listen, if you don't quit, right, you're physically already qualified to be able to do everything they're going to ask you. Now, it just becomes a process of, you know, putting up with the BS, right? Not letting them throw you off your game because they try to do that every minute of every day you know, learning the techniques, tactics, and procedures that they're teaching you, which having done it, I'm pretty convinced we could teach anybody to do them. It's just, can they do it under stress? Right. Mm. And, you know, not having such an ego that you think it's all about you. And when you're stuck, you ask for help from either your teammates, your boat crew, your other classmates, or the instructors who are there. But ultimately what it's about is teammates. We totally take team people over talent um, because we can train you of what to do. I mean, you can't train in the football analogy, somebody run a a four, two, five, 40. Yeah. That's, that's (laughs) unique. Right. Um, But you know what, if that guy is just a cancer in the locker room, it just doesn't work out in the end. It might work out initially for a couple of different, you know, things for us, we're the opposite. So we're trying to groom the locker room guy and the team guy, and then we'll give you the skills required. If you have talent and bonus, which every human being has their talents, well, that's just bonus to our organization. But, you know, having said that, you know, getting there, I was so excited. And I guess my last point is it's all about think about it. If somebody gave you a shot at the NFL and just said, okay, for the next six weeks or six months, as long as you're here every day at 7 a.m., as long as you do everything we tell you, and as long as at the end you're here, you're in. Here's your million-dollar contract. Here's your just even rookie salary. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's different, right? Yeah. And But a lot of guys get it mixed up in their heads. I mean, they've worked hard to get there, and then all of a sudden it's not what they expected. But, I mean, in the end of the day, don't overthink it. Do what they tell you. Do it to the best of your ability and just keep going. The system then builds you and grooms you. And, you know, at the end, you sit here and you go, oh, wow, you know, I'm only one of, a, you know, well, not one of 100, but, you know, 20% that made it through in this particular class. And so I think it's the most democratic fair screening in the world. 
because it doesn't matter color, race, religion, your demographic you came from. It doesn't matter about anything in your past. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter uh, if you think you're a bad dude or if you, you know, you, you just like taking pictures of sunsets. Do what we tell you. Show up and do it every day. And by God, at the end, you're going to be a great teammate and be on the team. And from there, we're going to do even harder things, you know, throughout the career. You know, Buds is just the entry. But um, I don't know. I, you know, I, the only thing I can say, me personally, is if you have somewhere better to go in your mind mm. in SEAL Team, you're going to go there. So you have to want it and you have to be focused laser focused for about a good two year period, you know, from the time, say selection to buds to then, you know, cutting your teeth as a rookie on the team. And if you think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather be playing football or I'd rather be day trading or I'd rather, you know, go sell real estate. Well, you'll go because that's, we're looking to weed that out. That's pretty amazing. I was thinking about that. Like the mental side of it is like, it seems like the mental part is the part that's giving up first before the physical does. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I say it all the time. Um, you know, you're the human body is the most amazing machine in the world. And Hey, I've gone through periods where I took care of it. Awesome. And other times where I've abused the heck out of it, you know, and then a lot in between, but the, body itself and what our machine is capable of from, you know, growing and achieving things to uh, healing to what we can do, it far outlasts our mind. And so BUDS to me is a very mental program. SEAL Team in general is a very mental chess game. Combat is a, is a big chess game, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, whether guys can explain it or not, you know, they're using a lot more uh, brain power and think power than I think the organization as a whole is giving credit, right? I mean, we're just kind of thought of as, you know, knuckle draggers that shoot people and do cool things. Um, but it's no different in high level sports. I mean, how much studying, you know, is done before a Sunday football game using the NFL? or a basketball team who I consult with, you know, even college. And these kids are, you know, if they're doing it right, they're studying and they're studying and then they're going out to practice and they're, they're doing the, uh, you know, the physical part of, of the studying. And SEAL Team's no different. I mean, 95% of it is practice and study mm -hmm. and mentality. And, you know, that's why I try to teach, I guess, what I call that competitive advantage to people, not just in sports, but in life. Because I, I truly believe your brain's your most powerful weapon. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned something earlier about doing it under stress, which is a huge part of being able to perform at a high level because using football as a reference, like it's not hard to catch a football. But can you catch that football with two people on you on fourth down in front of – 80,000 people. It's like now things shift a little bit. So what did the, what did the seals do to help you guys sharpen your ability to perform under stress? Yeah. Great question. I mean, I, we talk all the time. I, I have a business partner. He's a psychiatrist and you know, he fits the mold of psychiatrist. Um, but he has a great quote, which is, you know, uh, max out when it matters the most. And you know, if you can't, then what are you doing all this crap for? You know, meaning that's what elite people are training to do, right, is to do it when it matters. And one of the things that I've been able to see from what we did, and it was just, it was just the way we did it. So there's no other reference I have until I started, you know, getting invited and, and seeing sports teams and, and other groups do things where they had to perform something. And that is and you'll relate to this, you guys will both understand this is, so buds is what it is. But once you get to the team where you're actually part of the team, you know, and you're training to go play the game, our training is so much harder generally than when we're out in the field. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, now, 
take me, where do most of my injuries come from? People go, oh, you must have got injured in combat. No, I've, I've had 18 surgeries because of training, right? Like, exactly. like training. So, I mean, we do a year and a half generally of training before we go overseas for six to eight months. And then we come back and it starts over again. So every one of those blocks of all the skill sets that we're required to do to be combat ready, right? We train number one, every single one to failure, right? So you can be guaranteed at the end when you're ready to like do a full mission profile, it's going to be the most chaotic clusterfuck, complete nuts scenario. And you never win. Why? Because we believe that failure is the greatest teacher, right? So we'd rather fail there and learn than for that to happen in the real world. Um, and so there, you just get attuned to, there is no other way. We train hard. We learn everything. I mean, take a parachute jump. Of course, you're not going to fail and die parachuting, but parachuting is just a way we get somewhere. You know, once you're on the ground, you're now, you know, playing the game, right? I mean, the parachute is just the bus that takes us there. And of course that could kill you if you can't do it right. Mm. But you know, once you're on the ground, you'll have scenarios that are so wicked that again, unit wise, you know, you'll get to failure. You'll get to failure as an individual over and over, whether it's, you know, a man down and, you know, he's a big dude, you know, he's 240 pounds. He's got his combat gear on, you know, he's pushing three bills and, you know, a little guy like me, just happens to be standing to him. I mean, I got to figure out a way through the techniques I've been trained to drag him, get him up. And you know what? I might fail miserably, right? And all I can do is move him behind some cover, right? And you're dealing with that emotionally along with knowing you're graded and the peer pressure that when you go back to the hooch, everybody's going to be like, what the hell? You couldn't move that guy? What Jesus, man, Johnny would have just got shot to death. And so would it be You're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe I should do some more squats and work on it. You know what I mean? So there's this thing of always to failure, always to failure, always the worst case scenario. And then I go to sports and, you know, I know rules and things are different. I know it's not combat, but come on, like you got to tackle. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't uh, do weeks of, no tackle drill, and we're not going to hit people. Um, I'm not saying you obliterate your force, or we're going to always work on the things we're good at, meaning well, when they do this, we're going to do this. What about when it's all clusterfuck in the fourth quarter? You better have courses of actions and things you've thought through and trained to that you're comfortable going to, right? And so I always say, you know, he who adapts quicker and executes always wins because it doesn't matter if it's combat, football, volleyball, basketball. I mean, all that pre-planning shit works for about the first three series in football, maybe the first quarter in basketball. And then it's just adaptation and going to what you know you can do. Um, and I don't see people working on that as much as we did, right? So when I talk about training to failure, I mean, we're working through contingencies in these training ops you know, and it's just one after another, right? And so now you get comfortable with that adaptation cycle and execution cycle, and then it goes wrong. And then do, you know, think through it and do it again, you know, and, and keep adapting. Um, because I just think competition, war being the ultimate competition is dynamic. And, you know, it's just, that's what we do institutionally, in my opinion, better than anybody else in the world. Would you also say, too, that probably one of the things that you do better than anybody else is communicate? Absolutely. So it, it's funny. Every SEAL and, and maybe almost every special operator in the American military would recognize, you know, we call it shoot, move, communicate. And I would add shoot, move, communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm. So, you know, we over communicate um, instead of under because when you're training and things get chaotic, it's much better to over communicate, right? And, you know, think, you know, through the training, you learn to hear what you need to, you need to, you know, be able to intuitively throw away things that maybe were wrong communication, but lack of communication is deadly, right? And that has to do not only with dynamic situations, 
but it has to do with inner team dynamics and culture, right? So if I have a problem with a guy or something, you know, if I stuff that in, it comes out eventually. And what we know is that it always comes out in the worst possible time, right? So Mm -hmm. Murphy's law, you know, what can go wrong will, and it just might be internal team stuff. I mean, it could be girlfriend dynamics. It could be wife on wife dynamics, but it's also out in the battlefield. So we prescribe to, you know, check your ego at the door. You know, obviously there, there is a, with rank and everything, there's an appropriate way to communicate saying the less dynamic ways, but in the dynamic ways, it is absolutely communication overload um, because it's, it's better than to miss it. Right. And through training, once that becomes the standard, like I said, intuitively, you begin to understand different people's voice inflections of what, you know, the priority that they're talking or screaming, you know, what that really is mm-hmm. and, and, and what it's not right. And everybody, of course, say a 16 man assault team, you know, they have their unique personalities. So everybody's different and it's very important to understand all of those things. But communication is one of the skill sets that's, you know, not really out there. Um, say in the public fanfare of one of the things that we're really good at. Um, part of it is at the same time. And, and you guys know, you know, the locker rooms and the communication dynamic that must go on for groups of people to accomplish things. A lot of that stuff sometimes is not PC anymore in the world. Mm. And so I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, and it's just some of it's banter. Some of it means stuff. Some of it doesn't mean stuff, but to the group, it means a whole hell of a lot. And so that carries again into the dynamic actions that you're doing. And so we focus on it. And, you know, uh, the example I would give is if we have a young leader who is not communicating well, say, you know, typically sometimes getting on the rifle, you know, you get front sight focused on what you're supposed to do. Um, and, and maybe because of the situational awareness and understanding of what's going on, you know, you, you're applying the wrong thing. You know, a team leader needs to be looking at the big scenario. Um, we'll just take the gun out of his hand and give him a stick. Right. Mm. And so now he can't shoot. He has to learn to communicate because he's trying to fight, you know, multiple fire teams. And, you know, if you're looking down the barrel of your gun, thinking you're engaging a target, it's very difficult to have the big picture and communicate. And so that's one of the ways, you know, that we start to say, no, communicating is more important. And there were times I felt like, I mean, I had my rifle, um, but there were times I was like, I just want to ditch this rifle and just have a pistol in case because, you know, I've got 16 to 20 guns working for me. Right. And so it's important that I'm communicating. It's important that they're giving me feedback And so it's just this constant loop um, that's unfortunate and it'd be neat to go study it today, but obviously young people and all of us, you know, we're not communicating as well face to face because of our phones and social media. You know, we're not picking up on social cues. We're not watching body language and facial expressions. So, you know, we have a, we need to regrow communication Mm -hmm. face to face. In SEAL Team, you don't have a choice, right? I mean, we're not allowing guys out there with their cell phones rolling, you know, on training ops. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some things that you do to help um, people facilitate communication? Because it's it's so important, uh, especially in combat, because that could be life or death. Just because you didn't say something, somebody gets killed. For me, as a tight end, if I didn't, like, call out a blitz. right. That could be a sack, a tackle for loss. So communication is so important. So how do you help facilitate, how do you help empower people to communicate more effectively? Yeah. I mean, in SEAL team, it's part of the program, right? So much like, you know, in practice and in football, you're calling things out. So it just is institutional in there and, you know, it grows in time and, and everybody knows it's a standard and everybody much like, you know, a more senior tight end or offensive tackle, you know, letting you know and grooming you. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works there. The, the best success I've seen, you know, on the outside and helping other people, especially if they're in groups, right, is, and it's going to, it may seem counterintuitive, but 
we use a lot of vulnerability exercises. And so what does that mean? That means, okay, take the coach player relationship. So a lot of times what I know is if I can't get coaches to buy into things like that, I'm never going to get the followers or the players, you know, just Mm. the old seal adage of, you know, if the leaders do it, the men will follow, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the natural dynamic of leadership followership. So, you know, we often start with the adults. I call them the adults in the room and, and we do these things and it can be as simple as, you know, tell me about a hero of yours. Tell me about, you know, a hardship that you've encountered, you know, tell me about some aspirations. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to help the small group understand each other better at first, right? Then second, realize that a lot of us tend to think we're really unique. I mean, I do. I, I like think I'm the coolest dude on the planet. And, and then my kids remind me that, you know, you know, hey, dad, you're, uh, you know, you're well past your prime and, and you <laughs> it ain't coming back. Um, but what we do is as you start those things, and sometimes this happens naturally in a group, but a lot of times when people are coming from everywhere, it's not, is we're trying to make connections. So all of a sudden you realize, oh man, you know, I lost a sister or an aunt to cancer, or I didn't know you were struggling with that. Or, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, I didn't know, you know, that was one of your heroes. And all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to get this connection and you're breaking down the essentially social barriers that you may have just come to the group with, you know, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, what we're trying to do is to get you, A, to see your teammates in your group as another person. And there's commonalities and there's differences. And then with the differences, okay, we want to explore those because you should want to understand, right, what your teammate is thinking or doing, right? This is, this has nothing to do with the sport. This has nothing to do with SEAL team, right? This is me, a kid from Nebraska, talking to a kid from East LA who before SEAL team was a garage mechanic, Mm. right? I want to go, wow, I know my journey to SEAL team. Like, that's nuts. Tell me how, you know, the same questions you guys just asked me, I, I, my, all my SEALs, we were asking that of each other all the time, right? And so we're just trying to jumpstart it, you know, when we're out consulting. So first, it's using vulnerability exercises, right? Two, it's creating basically a framework of healthy communication amongst the group, right? Meaning, hey, if you have differences, Take football. It usually, you know, comes out initially in a fight on the field, right? And then we, we figure out what it is. Now, we figure out what it is if it's two starters. You know, if it's a rookie who is a practice player and a starter, well, that might have just cost him his job. But, I mean, yeah. my point is we figure out then, okay, how are we going to deal with that, right? Now, we might not be able to deal with it in the heat of the battle, but a lot of times we say, you know, uh, again, a tool we use in SEAL team, which is a hot wash. So right after the practice or right after the thing, when we cool down, we just address it, right? And we address it. A group that's great can address it in front of the group, but oftentimes it's one-on-one, right? And sometimes I have to facilitate those conversations, right? Because we don't have, you know, young people may not have the skill set or understanding where someone else is coming from. So a lot of times the coach player dynamic, the coach clearly has the best in mind for a player, but he also has the responsibility of the team. Right. And so you watch the communication, you see that player or coach are button heads. Well, next thing you know, you know, players got it in his mind that the coach is doing something that the coach is not doing, but the coach isn't aware that the player is doing that. Mm. And so you got to bridge that gap. And oftentimes, to be honest, you're getting just people to sit down and communicate open and honest and be non-judgmental of the other person's views, right? And that goes with everything in America right now. I mean, it, yeah. it'd be nice if we communicated to understand non-judgmentally issues. Once you get to the issues, that's easy. Now we just go into problem-solving mode. Okay, here's an issue. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. And what I always say, work the problem. So we're essentially teaching people, you know, through vulnerability and open and honest communication and appropriate ways, right, to communicate. 
not to say there's not fights, not to say that people don't get upset, especially in sports, but we don't want that to fester. You know, things that really bother you and fester um, are terrible in sports. They're terrible in combat, but then they, they carry on in the rest of our life too. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to teach the life skills that you don't have to hold on to this stuff. And it goes on both sides. I mean, coaches are people, you know, I'm a person, um, but I don't, I don't hold on to something, you know, for too long. Right. I, I want to go address it and kind of get it off my plate. You know, Jack, one of the things I just love about you and what you're doing is kind of just to piggyback off of what you were saying was the transparency part, like talking about your past and especially talking about it coming from the platform of being a Navy SEAL commander and talking about some of the struggles that you've had. And, and, and I just, I love the story. I love your story. Oh, thanks. And, and how is it that you felt, was it, was there ever a point, maybe was it, was it after the military, during the military that you said, you know what, I really feel like I want to share this with people because I think it could help. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is in the military for the guys that were really close to you, like they knew it, right? We were all living our struggles, both like say as a professional seal and with our families or whatever. I mean, the unit is so close, you can't escape those. And so there's definitely a piece of that where, you know, there were many brothers that helped me through that. And I'd like to think that I helped them through things. But what you realize is, you know, like any institution or human being, like I had my fears, like I didn't want to come out with everything specifically in the service. Like I didn't want to come out with addiction to pain pills and addiction eventually then to alcohol and mental health because I falsely viewed those as career killers. Now, having said that, would they have been? I don't know. But institutionally, I feared that so much that there was no way, like I was, unless I did something detrimental that I was forced to go get help, um, I just wouldn't do it. What was sad for me was that I helped a million people work through the system with the same issues. Um, and it, it was great for them. It was great for them. It was great for the Navy, great for the team. Um, but I just, I had that kind of stigma of fear. If I'm totally honest, you know, what's going to happen to me? Um, but again, it was guys that, you know, understand, quote unquote, the rules, but understand you and your value and, you know, kind of help get me, I guess, to the end. Once I got to the end, you know, that was no longer, um, you know, a piece of, of my psyche, if you will. Like, I have no fear, like, of that. Um, and what I started realizing is, you know, as people, whether it would be me giving keynotes or me helping young people. I realized that when I was helping young people, you know, I was brutally honest because I knew that some of them potentially may have some of the same struggles, you know, whether it be mental health or depression or or whatever. And I didn't feel that I could be a good mentor if I was just kind of playing the Hollywood bullshit seal thing. Not that I would do that anyway, because that's not me, but there's so much more behind that. You know, seal is what I did you know, Jack, the person and the family guy, you know, that's the guy that did all that. And there's a whole backstory with it of struggles. Right. And I think that the struggle part is what we all deal with. And it doesn't matter what job you do. It doesn't matter where you come from. I mean, human existence, we fight, we struggle, we get knocked down, we have successes, we have failures. Um, And I just felt that that was more empowering because I could develop a relationship then um, with people and it resonated. And then I began thinking about my own recovery and part of my problem, you know, the first time, cause I've had two bouts of it, you know, and I was sober for a lot of years in SEAL team a decade um, was that I, I never felt comfortable because I was hiding the fact that I was recovered. Right. And that has nothing to do with SEAL team. That was just me kind of like, Oh, I can't tell anybody in the locker room that I have this, but then again, I'm the DD every night. So everybody knows mm-hmm. <laughs> like every, it's a small unit, like everybody knows. Um, and so I just felt like, you know, if I'm really going to beat it and be on guard, you know, for the rest of my life, which I want, then I just have to be completely transparent with who I am. And if somebody passes on me for a job or a gig because of that, fine, you know, fuck you. Like, I don't want to be around people that can't handle the truth of trying to be elite 
and the struggles that I encountered. And oh, by the way, you know, me going forward, you know, this is how I have to live. And I think a lot of people resonate with it, especially the mental health stuff. Again, you, you see a lot more people talking about it today in all walks of life, but I don't think it's enough. I, yeah. I think that um, we think it's some, <laughs> some scarlet letter and it's not. I mean, a lot of these things affect everybody in different ways and with help and the right mechanisms, you know, you can recover from whether it be depression, mental health, addiction, um, just like injuries. Like I said, the human body's in mind is, is pretty amazing, but I just felt that, you know, the true authentic side of it would be, um, you know, cause a lot of people, you know, they have their perception and they, they kind of want you to do this. Um, no, I'm just, I'm going to be me. And if there's an audience for it, great. If there's not, it helps me be the best dad and husband I can be. And that's gratifying to me. Yeah. That's, that's huge talking about showing up authentically and being transparent with what you're dealing with, because it's like, there's a lot of people who are in a lot of high level situations who are dealing with these struggles that they have to kind of compartmentalize with what they're doing. So speaking of that, you are the host of the dark side of elite. And I, I really want to know how you came to that name and then what's the, the theme behind it. Yeah. The, great. Yeah. So the dark side of elite podcast. So it started with, uh, I mean, we run a consulting company, performance mountain, and that's kind of business and sports and mostly with sports teams around the Midwest. Um, and then I kept getting asked and, and people kept talking about, you know, kind of what I call the kind of typical seal come out of the closet. Like, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And I'm like, no, I, I don't really have an interest to do that. And then I sat down and did a podcast with the guy that's now my producer and marketing guy. Um, and it was the only one I'd ever done. And of course he had no background. So he walked into it thinking one thing and, you know, I don't know, we'd take for like two hours. And at the end of it, he was just like, that's crazy. Like your whole story, like, you know, abuse when you were a kid and addiction and injuries and SEAL team and you have a family, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that, you know, that's my life. I'm, I'm just a regular dude. <laughs> and he goes, you should do a podcast. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Well, he kept on me about it. And then finally I said, here's the deal, man. Like a lot of SEALs or vets are doing some great things. You know, some are just strict into leadership. Some are just telling kind of their version of the stories. Um, but again, I went back to here's my deal. Like I have a left and right limit of, you know, where I'm willing to go. But the only thing you can get me to be excited about and show up every day and talk about with passion are these issues, right? Like, you know, if you have a struggle when you're young, right? How, how did I get out of that? You know, and it wasn't just me. I mean, mentors, people, sports, you know, what was important in their relationships, you know, finding something and setting goals, right? I'm, I'm going to go accomplish this. And it's okay if you set a high goal and you don't accomplish it because you end up higher than where you were had you not set them, right? And then to just keep going. And then, you know, as I get to my adult life. And so in the end, through talking with that, I said, listen, there's a cost to anything when you're trying to be elite or good or whatever, right? Whatever it is. I mean, if you're in a dire situation where everybody around you is, is terrible, right? But that's your peer group. You know, if you want to get out of that, you're probably going to have to give up that peer group. That's a cost. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I'm not here to judge whether that's good or bad, but that's a cost, right? In, in my path, right? The cost of driving, you know, was physical injury, right? Addiction, which I knew I had in my family, but I didn't want to pay attention to it right? Mental health, you know, drove myself to, you know, suicidal things. Why? I mean, I look back now and think that's hilarious. Like I'm getting so depressed over operations that I have no power to influence, you know, a thousand miles away. Um, survivor guilt. I mean, I could go on and on. Those aren't bad things. So when I say the dark side of elite, it's about showcasing the cost and the struggles authentically, at least for me. And if a guest wants to talk about it, great. If a guest doesn't, that's cool too. Cause I don't really have any agenda other than 
here's my story. Um, and then, right, the fixes or the challenges and hope, and I hope that's what people get is hope out of it, that you can accomplish, you can change your life, you can um, do whatever the hell you want to do, right? And here's some of the pitfalls. And I just felt like the SEAL platform, if I have a platform, that's it. Um, I would take that angle on it because that's me. That, that was my career. Uh, certainly, there's many other guys that have had struggles. Um, but it's just about hopefully providing real authentic stories and life experiences to whoever listens. And also then kind of the pathways that were successful and still are successful for me. Um, I get on there all the time and just talk about, you know, day, the struggles I have today, right, with my family. Because um, I think a lot of people have that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know if it resonates, but what I do know is that when I meet somebody on the street, I am who I am and I'm not, I'm that same guy, right? So now I have a better chance at having an authentic relationship with you um, opposed to, you know, playing some character. I can tell you, Jack, as a listener of the Dark Side of Elite podcast, I can tell you what you're saying is resonating with me. It resonates. I appreciate that. And, and I love your perspective. And, and for whoever's listening to this podcast, if you haven't found the Dark Side of Elite podcast, you need to. And I'm not just saying that as a plug. I really mean this. I mean, just because what Jack is saying, I think, is one, relatable to a lot of us with some of the things that we struggle with in our life. And your perspective is great. And I love the transparency. And you know what's interesting is that so many people kind of like, especially from the, with your Navy SEAL background, have maybe a certain expectation of what they think they're going to hear from those type of people. And it's nice to hear your take on your experience and your life and how it's impacted you. And it's 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 been great. I love it. And I, I was recently listening to an episode when you're talking about uh, doping in sports and the military right. and stuff like that. I love that. It was just something about it. I'm like, this is intriguing. Like, this is stuff I like to hear. And then in addition to like other things like communication, stress management and stuff like that. But yeah, I love it. Thank you for that. Oh no, it's cool. I mean, I've been, I'm loving the guests we're having on. And, uh, I mean, we've had them from all walks of life. Like I said, I mean, when, again, when this guy approached me about it, you know, that's how we got to the dark side of elite and kind of the motif behind it to, to be this thing where, of course, there's a lot of people out there. They're just going to see seal. They're going to go. But just like, if you meet me on the street or I'm consulting with you, like that may be why you brought me in, but we're done with that in the first two minutes, right? We're on to life shit and real shit. And again, work the problem. Like, why'd you bring me here? Oh, mm-hmm. I think you could help our team be better. Okay, well, I'm going to have to do assessment and see where you guys are good, bad, ugly, all these things. Well, we're not ugly anywhere. Trust me, you're ugly somewhere. Every group is ugly somewhere, right? You know, the whole thing in groups is human beings, when they get together, are dysfunctional. So I always love when somebody goes, I come from the greatest family life. I'm like, okay, sweet. Now you're part of this team. Every group is dysfunctional. The goal is to function within your dysfunction towards the common goal. And that's what I'm here to help you with. And then we start finding those things. And a lot of times, I mean, I get it. Not everybody, you know, has my experiences or that of the, the team I work with to make this happen. But the dark side is just another mechanism to bring that out. And it's not about right or wrong. It's just about experience and sharing and being who you really are with your opinions and also listening to other people. And so I told the guy, I go, well, kind of like the Seinfeld, a podcast, like whoever comes on, we'll talk about whatever. I mean, there's always somebody out there. And that's the thing I miss the most about the service is meeting. I mean, we went everywhere in America. We went damn near everywhere overseas. Like the thing I miss the most is meeting people from totally different backgrounds, totally different upbringings, religions, And, you know, I found commonality with all of them because we're all human beings. And so I can get frustrated when we can't reach that because what I know is if you're authentic and again, you're polite and willing to listen, now we have common ground and we can build from that. And, but again, I see society in general and young people really struggling with some of those things. And so I just thought, yeah, we'll get it out there. But I mean, we've had, you know, we we obviously try to focus, you know, on mental health, but I mean, we've had, you know, rape survivors, we've had, you know, Olympians, we've had, you know, NFL players. I mean, it doesn't matter. Hockey players, you know, NHL guys coming up. Um, So I always try to touch on that. But what you find is the more authentic people are or willing to disclose, you're kind of like, man, you know, I just thought that guy 
you know, he had everything or that girl had everything. And my hope is then that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, people realize that communicating authentically is really important to our, our existence, all of us. Yeah. 100%. You know, looking back on your journey, is there one thing that you're most proud of? Uh, journey, like just your, just your life's journey, whether it could be professional, your career at the seals or kind of, yeah, there's probably two, um, inside seal team, you know, I would, this may sound silly. I mean, I, I always have looked at myself as kind of a walk on in seal team. And then there'd be tons of seals when I'd say that that didn't know what sports were, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cause I, I always felt like a walk on, um, and I mean, I feel really proud that I got all the jobs done that they, they gave me or the missions. And, and it's not like it was because of me, but I feel proud that I tried to take care of the people in my charge to the best of my ability. Um, I'm very proud that, you know, many of them still communicate to me or, or call me for advice, or I just have a great deep relationship with them. Um, and so I, I feel proud essentially that I accomplished my mission. Um, and you know, I think if people don't serve, that might be hard for them to understand, but you know, essentially, you know, I made a handshake with the United States Navy in the country that I would, you know, do these things and, and, and both sides lived up to it. And I think I got away with, you know, it's like a bank robber, like the experience and the people. Um, yeah, I'm just so proud of that. Um, but again, it was just put one foot forward and do the best you can. Um, you know, not everybody, like, it's like I say on a football team, like not everybody's an all pro. Mm. There's so many other people that make those teams, you know, because the goal is to win as a group. It's not individual shit. Um, and, you know, I'm very satisfied essentially, you know, being one of many, so to speak, you know what I mean? Um, family wise, I'm very proud, you know, and it's still obviously a struggle, but I'm very proud that my family's intact through that 20 years, you know, to have my wife who I married, you know, right after college and my four kids. Um, because I know the odds in that unit, not just in America, but then the odds in that unit are huge that you're not going to stay together. And I think that's more a credit to her, um, than me, but, um, ultimately, yeah, I'm very proud of that because I think, I think it's important to be involved in young people's lives. Yeah. Well, kind of in the same vein of that, we always have to ask this, but what are you most grateful for? Oh, wow. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm most grateful today and most days just to be alive. Um, because I've, I've seen a lot of young people, um, you know, in service and, and through other silliness, not be here. Um, and I mean, I think that I probably tried subconsciously not to be here. Um, you know, so there was a lot of me doing some stupid things, you know, with the addiction and, and mental health stuff. Um, and then just my job, I mean, you you know, I was in a pretty dangerous job for a while. And so I feel like, you know, being upright and breathing means I'm here for a reason, you know, and I need to not waste it. I need to go out there and make an impact. And ultimately, you know, in leadership, followership for me, what I've learned, you know, if you really believe in people, which I do, is that, you know, when we're all going to die. And, you know, when we die, we don't take all this crap, you know, I don't take my golf posters with me and all this crap, but you, you know, what stays behind is the people that you impacted and their memories of you. And it's real simple in the leadership followership dynamic. And you guys totally relate, mm-hmm. right? I say a name, you either go, that's a good dude, or you're like, fuck, what an idiot, <laughs> right? It's, it's the same way in leadership, followership, and, and, and when we meet people out on the street or whatever. In the end, when we're gone, right, it's our memories and our impact on them. And I just hope that of all the people I come in contact with, you know, I've helped them be a better person, um, and I got to be alive to do that. So I'm still alive and, and still moving forward and still – putting out, you know, mountain peaks to try to go climb 
Although it seems I'm, it seems I fall down a hell of a lot more these days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, two hip and brand new hips, right? Or one brand new. Yeah, hip, right? brand new hips. There. What are we? Nine weeks out. But uh, as a golfer, I'm digging it. It, it helps there, and uh, I'm. I, it's no problem, man. I mean, it's it's life changing from the chronic pain I had and things like that. But I'm still. I've got a son loves hoops, and uh, I'm still I'm still pretty weak moving laterally or even trying to elevate, you know, my two inches to get a rebound. It's kind of funny. It's like, it's like my brain does it. My brain says go and my body takes a while to, it's, it's, a, it's a weird deal. <laughs> but you know, the nice thing is I don't have to do anything dynamic anymore, but you know, that's part of it. I mean, for years I wanted to tough through every injury and, and, you know, and it's just, my whole thing is I want to hopefully help young people or even leaders just, be smarter. Don't, don't be harder. Like efficiency and doing things the right way and the smart way are just so much better in the long run. Yeah, I totally agreed. You know, I, I just really wanted to thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your experience and sharing your story. Uh, how can more people, the guys that people are listening to this podcast, how can they find more about what you're doing, whether it be performance mountain or your podcast, the dark side of elite? Yeah, appreciate it. The, um, Performance Mountain's easy, performancemountain.com. Um, you'll catch our team there. We got former NFLer Danny Woodhead on there, uh, Dr. Danny? Larry Widman. Yeah, Danny's on the Danny's part of the team. He's out playing golf right now in With the amateur. What's that? With Slaw? Yeah, well, so Slaw, it so let me go through it and then I'll give you the backstory real quick. <laughs> so yeah, performancemountain.com is the consulting company, you know, leadership, communication, you know, mental skills. Uh, we work businesses, we work sports teams. Whoever, give us a call and that's where you can check us out. And then Dark Side of Elite, the podcast is under darksideofelite.com. Um, you can catch both of those, Performance Mountain and Dark Side of Elite on all, all social platforms. And then I'm at, you know, at Riggins underscore Jack or some shit like that. Bottom line is Riggins <laughs> Jack, Jack Riggins. You'll find me on all the platforms. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus just because I, I've just been watching – now over the last like two months and I've been in a very like strategic reconnaissance mode, just watching mm. and observing everything. Um, and just trying to take it in. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but again, I think communicating, um, is the way that you, you, you break down barriers and you find out the issues. The problem on social is you just yeah. people, people basically go into war camps and I'm like, okay, that's not too cool. Yeah. That's where you'll find us. And then, uh, yeah, so Danny and Slaw have um, their Out of Nowhere podcast. And yeah. I think, I'm not going to say it officially, but I think we're going to add Slaw to the official Performance Mountain Fold here oh, next month. Um, because we all share the same kind of passion and we have different experiences. Um, and then Dr. Larry Whitman, I mean, he has Max Out Mindset podcast and he's got a book that's going to be released uh, September 1st. So we're kind of working, you know, under that umbrella. So, you know, in the end of the day, it's a new age. So we have, you know, one big brand, Performance Mountain, and then each individual kind of has their own thing that we're, that we're sharing. And in the end of the day, you know, if you want Performance Mountain, we all come together like Wonder Twin Powers activate. <laughs> and we try to help people. But uh yeah, it's a, it's a good electric crew um, of people that have, you know, done real good things in their specific sector, whether it's mental health with Doc, you know, me with SEAL Team, you know, Danny. Uh, we all have a, another lady, Lauren Cook. She's pregnant, though, right now, um, a former Division One volleyball player. And, uh, and then Slaw, you know, Slaw just moved back and is passionate about helping young people. And so we're just trying to figure it out. I mean, the nice thing is, you know – we all have income streams coming from somewhere. And so mm. that allows us a level of flexibility. And I also think authenticity to help people troubleshoot because I really don't need your money. Like I'm not here mm. to get your money. I'm here to help you. Right. And so, you know, we can really try to identify up front whether we're a good fit for groups and people we work with. And that gives us a level of freedom as outside consultants to be completely objective, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We try hard. 
Well, you've got a good team. Danny and Matt Slauson are just two great guys. Slaw was like one of those true leaders that you would want on like O-line position, but just like as a leader, he was a great guy. And Danny was just just a character. Love that guy. <laughs> I called Danny the kid. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody like Danny Woodhead who he's just stuck in 16-year-old kid stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Danny has yeah, we, we do we so our whole competitive thing is golf now. Golf? He's a little bit better than I am. Uh yeah. that, that's why I'd have surgery, right? I had to have some upgrades. Uh, <laughs> and then you know, slaws out there. But yeah, we're pretty blessed in Nebraska. I mean, we do have a lot of, of former athletes and and former people. I mean, I say that because that's you know, that, that's a lot of times where younger people, they've come from sports if they're in their 30s or 40s and have some free time or the military. Um, and so we kind of all coalesce and, you know, create that floating locker room and, and have some fun. And oh, but I, I really appreciate, Greg, the uh, shout out, you know, and on Dark Side, I'm glad you, you're enjoying it. We're going to just keep pumping out content. I mean, I think we've got it set up to like I said, if nobody listens, that's okay. I mean, it, it, uh, my partner, Scott gets a lot out of it and, uh, I certainly get a lot out of it because sometimes I'm just on there decompressing mm. about issues, you know, I've had. And, um, and sometimes we get people from my past and, uh, I just think it's good. I mean, I think we've, I think we've achieved a level of market and capitalism to where we create brands and things that sell, but aren't always authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a mix there. I get yeah. it. Um, I'm just on the far end of like, Hey, let's be totally authentic. I mean, you should hear our marketing meetings. I lose my mind. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm like, we're not saying that I'm like hundred percent authentic. And so th- they, they've all got me to the point where they're like, okay, it has to be authentic marketing. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to be the guy that signs off on it. <laughs> so <laughs> So the truth is we're not doing a lot of marketing because there's not a lot of authentic marketing out there. Well, I can tell you this is that I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I love listening uh, to you and your perspective and and thank you for your time uh, and for coming on here with us. No, I appreciate the invite. This is great. And uh, I've got you guys and uh, I'll be, I'll be following. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you appreciate so much. It. Yeah. You guys have a great day out there. All right. You have too. All right. Hit me up anytime. You got right. it. All right. Peace. Hey, what is up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the White Tiger Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also, hit us up on social media. You can find us at the White Tiger Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. You will find video versions of these podcasts there, in addition to some bonus content and some added extras. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you guys for all your support, and we'll catch you next time.